Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. My guest today is Judge Bernard Graham, who is a uh, surrogate judge in uh, Brooklyn and lives on Shelter Island. And uh, I thought it would be interesting uh, because Shelter Island is so different. And I thought that who better to judge it than a judge? Well, good morning, so, Dan. Well, interrupt you because I actually live in Brooklyn, but we have a home on Shelter Island. Yes, I know, but that's the sort of the point. You know, it's like that. There's such a, a, a different. Uh, what, for example, in Brooklyn, um, well, you're in the city, when, but it's. Uh, do you go to Nets games? By the way. Or I was at uh, one last week. <laughs> I think they played the Thunder because they have a great basketball player now. They uh, they lost to Minnesota, which is a really strong team, but they only lost by a point or two last oh. week. And, but you can't do that when you're on Shelter Island. No, no. There's not <laughs> a lot of major league uh, athletics. Tell, tell us how how you came to buy to have a house here in Shelter Island rather than either on the North Fork or in West Hampton. Did you look around? And how long ago was it? Well, my family, uh, for whatever reason, my father was aware that the Hamptons had uh, some beautiful farmland. And in 1968, he was a he was a civil rights lawyer, not making a, a great deal of money, but and my mother and he came out and they bought uh, three quarters of an acre in Wainscott. Probably for $5,000. Yes, it was very reasonable back then. And we were south of the highway and uh, they then uh, leveraged the land to get a loan to build a house. So we had a home in Wainscott for a number of years, and that was our beginning on Long Island. And that continued until about 1980. Uh, over the years, you know, we went off to college and separate ways. My father passed away, and uh, my mother then decided that she really liked Shelter Island. We would rent houses on Shelter Island in the 80s. I was graduating from law school, and we would have a number of Brooklyn families share a big rambling house in Shelter Island for about $2,500 for the month, and uh, had a great time because it hadn't exploded with all this uh, new interest and uh, popularity that it has now, and, we, and we've been there ever since. We then decided, uh, well, my mom and the rest of us to, to buy a house. And we have a little house that uh, we've had for almost 20 years now. 
How did how could it have changed in a way? It's an odd question because I remember it too years years and years ago. It was so quiet, and uh, but the, the old, but there's still only one way on and off it, which is ferry boats. Right, but on either side of the island. Well, they're on they're on both sides of the island, but um, it seemed the only thing I could figure out because now it is it is busier. It's not anywhere near as busy as the Hamptons, but it is much busier than it was. It was so peaceful back then. The only thing I could figure out is that the ferry boats got bigger and took more frequent trips, and but but even so. What do you like to do on Shelter Island? Well, you have to make your own fun on Shelter Island. Yes. A limited number of restaurants and uh, uh, venues, a lot of which shut down after Labor Day. So you really have to enjoy the, the peace and quiet and being with your, bringing out your friends and family, uh, doing things, uh, uh, in my case, a number of families grew up together with their kids and we have a book club that meets and we, you know, share birthdays and, you know, holidays out there. Uh, so we've been very happy with it. Our kids have all worked in the restaurants. Uh, so that attaches us to the island. And, um, but it's not, it's not the Hamptons, at least not yet. And, <laughs> and I think having the ferries, it has a way of tamping down some of the, uh, you know, potential growth that it could turn into a, like a Montauk or something because people just don't want to deal with having to, you know, get on a ferry and uh, then have to worry about getting back on the ferry. So it does tamp things down. So you have to really want to be there. And that uh, that's good for us, I think. But for a long time, there were there was a group of you. How many were you in that? group that had rented in that big house? There were at least three families uh, that, uh, and some of those houses in the Heights were, you know, real rambling Torian homes with, you know, seven or eight bedrooms. And, uh, you know, it all worked out. We had people, each family would have a number of kids would come out and sleep on the couches. And, you know, we made a go of it. Being from Brooklyn, we're very hardy and uh, <laughs> we're resilient. Uh, do you uh, fish at all or any have any sports you play out here? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a tennis player and a golfer, and there's plenty of that. There, A lot of my associates or friends are into fishing. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of nature-based activities bike riding, uh, we see people doing yoga on the beaches now. Uh, people are very health conscious, uh, you know, so there's a lot to do in the, in the warm weather. Gardner's Bay is a beautiful course. Are, are you, do you play that? Uh, I do, but I only go, my wife and I are house members, and uh, it has gotten somewhat expensive to be a golf member there. Gosh. And I'm, uh, you know, a public servant, and, uh, and I don't live there year round, so I haven't really had that pressure to join. But I did join the uh, Goat Hill Country Club, which you may or not be aware of is the local nine hole municipal course, favored by more of the locals. 
Is that uh, near where there's a there's a, a, a I, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a, a grass strip for airplanes coming and going. No, that's the uh, that's the other end of the island. That's the airport. Oh. The hotel is uh, not far from the heights. It's on a higher elevation, uh, and it does have a, a you know a, a cedar shingled bar restaurant at the top of the hill. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's a quirky type of thing that uh, you know it's nice to have because it's it's very affordable and anybody can play there. It doesn't have a lot of attitude or anything. Where did you grow up, and where did, when when did you decide you wanted to become a lawyer? Well, you know, I was growing up in Brooklyn, and uh, both of my parents were lawyers. That that didn't have any real bearing originally on my desire. I wanted to be a doctor, and uh, I was fascinated. I would read a lot of books about uh, heart transplants and things like that, and I went to Stony Brook University thinking that that was the place to go. And the Biology 101 class had about 800 students in it. And on that first day, I said, you know what? This isn't going to work out. I'm here to have a a, a kind of broad education and a a little fun at the same time. And I said, you know what? These people aren't going to come out of their rooms for four years. So I uh, switched gears, became an economics major, and law school was a very good option considering it was pretty much in my family and in my DNA. And uh, I haven't regretted it at all. I've had a wonderful career as a judge and as a private attorney. It can do a lot of good. How did you get to be a judge and why did you want to be one? Well, I was had a, a storefront law practice in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And I was very much a man of my neighborhood, my community. I was involved with the YMCA and the civic associations and doing a lot of wills and uh, real estate matters. And then I fell in with uh, someone who became a good friend who was the borough president of Brooklyn. And we met, we actually met him on Shelter Island at the Ram's Head. He happened to be out there for the, he liked to go out there on weekends and we didn't know him at all. And I said to my wife, I see, you see that guy over there, Marty Markowitz? He's the uh, borough, he's gonna be the borough president. And let's go say hello. And she said, oh no, let's not bother him. And I said, no, I think he'll like it. So we go over and uh, he was overjoyed to see someone recognize him on Shelter Island. And that then became the start of a very nice friendship and he knew that I was working uh, as a lawyer, and he thought it would be a good move for me to run, become a judge. And since I was so you know, well known in my my area, I agreed to do it. And it turned out to be a real, you know, competitive race. It was that's a whole other story that would take a long time, but I did prevail, and uh, uh, that was the start of my career back in 2005. And that was the lower civil courts, which are the, uh, the lower courts handle a lot of the smaller matters of small accidents and uh, small claims and all of that. And then I then from there went to family court because that was a little more uh, exciting and it certainly was. And then from there, I went to Supreme Court 
where the matters are more significant and the, the trials were more meaty. And I was doing all kinds of things, including uh, medical malpractice cases, which was very, very interesting. And, and then what happened was in about a year and a half ago, the surrogates court, what we would call a probate court, became very dysfunctional between COVID and some mismanagement and people weren't getting their estates probated and grandma's house wasn't getting sold and people's property were going into foreclosure. So I was asked to um, step in. And then the next thing I knew, I was asked to run for the position because they needed some real help. And I was just elected in this past November in Brooklyn, which uh, is a big accomplishment because it's borough-wide, two and a half million people, and nobody ran against me, which was a good sign. How does this court differ from, uh, is this an appeals court? Tell me a little bit about this court. As uh, Apparently it's uh, an appeals court from the Supreme Court of New no, York. No, it's not an appeals court. It's it, We say we have um, equal jurisdiction on the same level as Supreme Court. But our, uh, our mandate is uh, probate of wills and administration of estates specifically and as well as guardianships for incapacitated persons. And there are only two judges, and we have a staff of about 50 clerks and lawyers, and we settle everyone's estate, and they may have you know, disputes over their wills and any number of fights over uh, who should get the inheritance, but it's all limited to those areas that involve estates and surrogates practice uh, trusts, and and it's a busy busy court because of course there's the volume, and now all of a sudden there's a lot of wealthier uh, people in Brooklyn, and property values have gone up, so there is a lot uh, there's a lot of going on. Is that a nine to five thing, Monday to Friday, pretty much? Yeah, we don't work remotely. We're in the office every day. Uh, and sometimes we work beyond five o'clock, you know, because we have uh, just a mountain of um, documents that need to be reviewed, uh, doing hearings. Uh, I did a jury trial, which is somewhat rare, but uh, some family where they disputed whether the uh, the mother had made a will of her own uh, intentions and they were alleging undue influence. So that was a very dramatic kind of contest that the jury was very, uh, you know, very invested in getting to the uh, to the right result. And uh, so we do have our drama and our human elements there. Can you talk about, without mentioning any names, of course, but I thought it might be interesting if you told us a little bit about uh, a particular case that you thought was fascinating because I'm sure it would fascinate everyone to hear about it. Well, we have a lot of fascinating cases. Um, you know, one of the things that's going on is um, there is a, a lot of uh, uh, unscrupulous developers who swoop in and they, they can purchase one of the relatives' shares of the inheritance. And that's fine, and that's legal, but they do it for all the wrong reasons. They're, they're 
stymieing or uh, interrupting the probate of the of the will for the purpose of strong arming the other relatives to transfer their shares over. And this is really a very unethical and scrupulous thing that goes on. And they uh, they interfere with the sale of what could be a $2 million brownstone in Bedford-Stuyvesant. And those the cases came to me and I had to, uh, you know, size it up and it all becomes very technical in the probate world as to the power of an executor to handle the assets of the estate versus one of the uh, beneficiaries. And uh, so I enjoyed uh, basically uh, straightening that out and telling this developer that, no, you cannot do that. You're enjoined. The executor has to have the power to represent the estate and sell the property. And for whatever reason you're doing this has to stop. So, and that's something that it wasn't a one-time deal. There's a number of these situations going on. And you stop it because they only have a minority interest because they're one of many. And they're, not, they're not the fiduciary or what we would call the executor. So they're, they're the, the tail wagging the dog and right. they're trying to uh, interfere with the process. So, Yeah. Uh, I, in my work, uh, for years, of course, I got to know a lot of the merchants with the paper. And uh, I witnessed um, a number of major, uh, uh, re I guess you call them retail places in the Hamptons where, uh, I, although I don't know the details, uh, things are gone into a situation where there are children who now own it and they get into disputes and the property then de deteriorates because uh, yes. there's tenants in it. Um, well, those so, are the type of issues that complicate the estates. Yeah. And if the court isn't on top of it, like you say, they languish and they, the property can start deteriorating. And there's a lot of uh, room for people to make objections and to uh, hire lawyers to... Uh, you know, slow down the process. Uh, that's we face that every day, and we try to, you know, steer it in the right direction. If you don't mind, I'll tell you one more in interesting thing that just sure. happened recently: that a family that was fairly well-to-do, and unfortunately, the father passed away of a heart attack in his mid-40s, and his will, which he had made with his wife, were left everything to his child after if the wife was not uh, alive and he forgot then that later on he had two other children mm. which created an issue where it was close to 10 million dollars and the wife he had divorced the wife so it was very important where that money would go mm. and the will drafter had didn't allow for later born children oh. So we had to have a whole hearing to say whether that was an error or not. And there was a lot at stake because, you know, that was an attorney's error, as it turns out. But on paper, it would look like one child would get $10 million and the other two would get nothing. Well, how did how did these other children become part of the estate? Were they from the mother or? Had... 
they were born to both mother and father uh, while the parents were married. And the, the will was in, made on one year, but at that time there was only one child. Oh, so the others weren't mentioned. Weren't mentioned and therefore would be left out. So how did it wind up? Well, you have to have a hearing and you have to get testimony from uh, the lawyer uh, as to what the intention was. And the, the wife testified as well. And as it turned out, everybody was, you know, willing to admit that that was a mistake. So yeah. I then get to make the decision that, yes, the evidence shows it's a mistake. And we reform the will so that it's spread out amongst the three children. I but see. We have to do that legally because otherwise it would have stood on its own terms. I'll tell you. I, I would I was just thinking about something along these lines that I would just want to tell you about. It's so amazing. Um, when I first started the paper, this is sixty years ago. Um, the uh, I went to see a guy was uh, building a building on Main Street in Montauk, and uh, uh, he was running a taxi business out of it. And he took an ad in the paper. And uh, the next spring, when I was, went to see him, he told me that. Oh, well, the, that he had been shut out by another taxi company doing, making deals with some of the motels in town and the railroad station, and that he was so angry he was shutting down and he would never ever come back to Montauk and everything would just fall apart and the building would go into complete decay because he was mad at that town. Mm. As a 21 year old kid, I was like, wow, you know. So, so uh, I watched this happen, and that building is still there in deteriorated state, right on Main Street, sixty years later. How about that? Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, life uh, people huh. are unpredictable at times. Yep. Well, thank you for being on this podcast, uh, and and um, I appreciate it very much. And um, I, I hope you have a, a nice day and. Are you thinking about retiring yet, or are you just getting underway? Well, I was just elected to this spot, and it would normally be a 14-year term. That's good. But I have to retire at 70, which is seven years away. So I know what my timeline is. <laughs> see. And if I can put in a public service announcement, all your listeners should really think about preparing a will and letting everybody know who their relatives are, because that's... <laughs> The problem that we run into in surrogates court. That's my good, my good deed for the day, Dan. Thanks for being on the podcast again. Pleasure. Keep up the good work. I enjoy your paper. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care.